0: Welcome to this edition of the PLUS podcast. In this podcast, we'll be talking about photography. Not the most suitable topic for a podcast, perhaps, but to be precise, we'll be talking about the mathematics behind the photographs of Peter Markovitch, who is a professor of applied mathematics at the University of Cambridge and also a photographer. We'll be exploring the mathematics behind turbulent waters, zebra stripes and leopard spots, and even human interaction. If you want to see the photographs, read the PLUS article called Universal Pictures, which you can find by going to the PLUS website at plus.maths.org and entering Universal Pictures into the search field. I started off my interview with Markovic by asking how mathematics and photography go together.
1: First of all, they didn't at all. First of all, they were completely separate. But then at some point, when I, maybe two, two and a half years ago, when I looked through my pictures, I realized that many of them, that behind many of them, there is a mathematical story to tell. And then it all began, sort of. Uh, I, I started to look at the pictures in terms of the mathematical problem which is behind, or in terms of the of the mathematical model which describes, say, for example, a dune in a desert or a waterfall. Uh, or uh, a crowd of human beings and their interactions. So then, it's as I said, at some point, I began to think of mathematics when I looked at the pictures. And then it came together.
0: So I think I'm correct in saying that a lot of your work centers on um, PDEs, partial differential equations. Can you explain to a layperson what that is?
1: Partial differential equations uh, relate say, physical state variables like uh, mass, energy, velocity, or others, to their variations with respect to, in some sense, more elementary variables like time and and position. So uh, classical examples of uh, partial differential equations uh, are, for example, the Schrodinger equation in quantum mechanics, or even uh, Einstein's general relativity is framed uh, in the language of partial differential equations. Other examples are the Maxwell equations of electromagnetodynamics, uh, or if you want a more modern fashionable example, the Black-Scholes equation of finance mathematics.
0: Partial differential equations are indeed hugely versatile when it comes to applications. And it's these kind of equations that tell the mathematical story behind Markovitch's photographs. A striking example, both in terms of the mathematics behind it and in terms of the images, comes from a series of beautiful photographs of waterfalls. The mathematical problem behind this is how to describe the vastly complex phenomenon of turbulence.
1: What is turbulence? Let's begin like this. Turbulence is basically what you observe is a mixture of all scales. So uh, when you think of, say, laminar flow, which, which, which is smooth and nice, you would say that basically you have, say, one scale. The scale would be, say, the average velocity of the water. Now, when you have a turbulent flow, the situation is completely different in, in, in the sense of when you measure uh, the velocities in the very uh, close locations, you could get completely different values. Uh, so you have a cascading of scales, you have mixing of scales. There is, of course, a big problems in the numerical simulation of of turbulent flows, because you can't restrict to to one scale or two scales. You have to sort of cover all of them.
0: But despite all the complexity, mathematicians have a model that describes the behavior of liquids surprisingly well. It's based on some of the most famous partial differential equations of them all.
1: Navier-Stokes equations, well, actually, they form, well, I I, I should put it in in the following way. Uh, The most simple version that is the incompressible Navier-Stokes equations, but in three dimensions, uh, actually uh, are a clay problem, clay millennium problem. That means uh, you can essentially earn $1 million if you prove that uh, the Navier-Stokes equations have a globally, in time, defined smooth solution of finite energy, say.
0: In other words, the problem of fluid flow, mathematically speaking, is still unsolved. And this is quite amazing, given that fluid flow modeling is essential in anything from meteorology to aircraft design. The Navier-Stokes equations express changes in velocity and pressure of a liquid of a given viscosity. When you solve the equations, you end up with functions that tell you the velocity and the pressure at any point in space and at any time. And this is exactly what you need in order to describe the fluid flow. The problem is that nobody knows if these equations actually do have exact mathematical solutions and if they do, whether these solutions make physical sense. They might, for example, contain infinities or other singularities that don't square up with our intuition of how a fluid should behave. For practical purposes, engineers usually use approximate solutions, and these do amazingly well. But what we don't know is what, if anything, the Navier-Stokes model tells us about the exact nature of fluid flow.
1: Well, it's basically a a coupled system of uh, three nonlinear partial differential equations uh, the unknown variable is the uh, well, the unknown variables are the velocities, so the three velocity components. Uh, another unknown, if you want, is the pressure, uh, the fluid pressure. So when we think of 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 fluids, then uh, basically we have the. I mean, our main idea is that the velocity field re- remains finite at every point. But there is, there is yet no mathematical theorem which really proves that. So many things could happen. Either, well, the theorem could be true, the theorem could be false, but then we have to rethink the modeling. Or, or, or we have to rethink our intuition of nature.
0: So what would that mean if, if it actually were false? What consequences would that have for existing models? Um,
1: I would say it would not... Uh, really change many things it wouldn't change many practical things yeah uh, these equations are used for example in airfoil modeling or uh, even in the modeling of spacecrafts uh, but basically there many things are done by numerical computations and very often we observe say large velocity fields yeah but a numerically large velocity field uh, could also correspond to a mathematically infinite one, we just don't know. But uh, people know how to deal with large velocity fields which occur locally. So I don't think it would change a lot uh, in, in, say, in an engineering context. It may very well change our conception of, of fluid flows, though. Of course, it could also mean that, uh, I mean, if this is not the case, it could also mean that the model is not adequate anymore when singularities occur. And there could be a different model. There could be, a. it it may be that it necessitates a different way of modeling, yes. I would not exclude that. Uh, If you ask my guess on whether the theory, well, the theorem of uh, globally smooth solutions is true or not, I would say 50-50, I have no idea. And honestly, it would take... I mean, people have tried really every available technique to solve this problem. And uh, there has been progress, but progress has been very, very, very slow. And uh, honestly, my feeling is that uh, if we do not develop completely new techniques, uh, we will not see a solution to to the clay problem, so the million dollars.
0: Okay then, so let's move on to um, another set of images that that are very interesting, which is um, the patterns of animal coats or animal Mm -hmm. skins. Mm -hmm. There are mathematical models describing that. So could you explain us briefly, probably first the biology and then how the maths comes in?
1: Well, I mean, I, I'm not really an expert on the okay. biology, I could just try. Uh, basically, well, the basic idea behind it, it is that cells essentially migrate uh, towards a certain parts of the animal's skin and their migration is more or less controlled by, by chemical sensing. So the idea is that they sense a chemical which tells them where to go, yeah? and in the end this sort of generates the pattern. Uh, the mathematical, I would say descriptive theory was based on a very ingenious idea of Alan Turing, British mathematician, uh, who wrote down a system of what we call now reaction-diffusion equations, which showed the effect of diffusion caused instabilities. Uh, Instabilities has to be interpreted here in the sense of departure from the equilibrium state, which has very... I mean, originally people observed, and and Turing observed, that the solutions that come out uh, sort of resemble animal skin patterns, uh, if you tune the parameters correctly.
0: When applied to animal skin patterns, Turing's model goes something like this. Imagine the embryo of, say, a cheetah. Now imagine that in its skin there are two chemicals. One of them is an activator, which promotes the production of both itself and the other chemical, and the other chemical is an inhibitor, and it suppresses the production of both. Over time, the two chemicals diffuse and react with each other by promoting or suppressing production. The change in their concentration at various points of the embryo is captured by a set of two partial differential equations. In the beginning, at time zero, the two chemicals are in perfect equilibrium. But the slightest nudge can knock the system off its equilibrium, and as you start the clock, things start to change. Now, if the relationship between the diffusion rates of the two chemicals is just right, then you will find that after a while you get a polarization. Regions of high activator concentration will be surrounded by regions of low activator concentration. And if the activator also promotes the production of a pigment in the skin, then what you get is a spotty pattern. Interestingly, when Turing first started to think about these kind of problems, he wasn't interested in animal patterns at
1: all. Uh, He was interested in in problems, uh, in diffusive problems, which lose stability through the fact that you add diffusions in each component which are very different from each other Ass- assume you have a two component system and uh, you have diffusion and reaction in each of them and assume that if you drop uh, diffusion terms then you have a stable solution but then you during essentially proved by uh, surprisingly simple mathematical methods, that if you add appropriate diffusion, whose coefficients are very different in the two components, then you can create instabilities. So this comes as a big surprise because for scalar equations, diffusion always stabilizes the system. And Turing showed that uh, in the system case, it can do exactly the opposite. And And then it was observed that, well, I mean, this could, um, you find solutions which kind of resemble animal patterns. And then a biological theory was built around uh, sort of uh, people modeled uh, animal skin pattern formation as a system of two reaction diffusion equations whose solutions represent component-wise certain chemicals which drive the motion. And then... um, as I said, the, the skin pattern is interpreted as an instability in the system. And, and in fact, it's very interesting that people who nowadays write computer software for computer games, they actually use these equations to generate zebras in real time, let's say. All right, so basically
0: they basically mimic nature, exactly, then mathematically.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only thing is that uh, the theory as it was up to maybe a few years ago was rather descriptive only. Now it seems that these chemicals uh, have really been found in 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 animals. So now the theory, which originally was descriptive only, uh, might become, uh, I would say, biologically more founded.
0: images I looked at, the images that you took, they're not just images of nature which where it's understandable that there will be mathematics behind it, but you've also got in- images of people mm-hmm. and you also describe um, a bit of mathematics that can describe people's behavior, for example opinion forming, mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. like that. So can can you tell us something about that?
1: Well actually this is based on on what I think is a very clever recent idea and that is applying uh, principles of statistical physics to human interaction. Uh, so, I mean, if if you think of like a gas, think of air. Uh, how, how is transport in a gas affected? Well, basically, a gas is collision-driven. You have to think of that atoms in the gas collide, and uh, how do they collide? Well, in some sense, they collide as as billiard balls do. Uh, so, uh, you have, if you check, I mean, if you observe two atoms, they come into a collision with, or into a collisional event with uh, certain incoming velocities and move out of the event with other velocities. But you can sort of relate the outgoing ones to the inco- incoming ones in a very clear way. So, this is gases. This is Boltzmann's statistical physics theory, what we call now the Boltzmann equation. Uh, of gas dynamics and 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 we have all these nice uh, beautiful uh, properties, like the growth of entropy and so on. Uh, okay, now, if you think of human interactions, I mean you can I- imagine that uh, opinion formation, for example, is driven by pairwise interactions of individuals, say of agents, right I mean, we call them agents in that context, yes. yeah. So I mean we 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 discuss about something yeah and we might come out with uh, generally we come out with different opinions or slightly changed opinions after the discussion so you can uh, basically build a theory of opinion formation which is again based uh, on microscopic collisions that is discussion events of Two human beings, and then you can sort of uh, you can put this all into a grand theory, and what comes out is uh, surprisingly, well, not really too surprisingly, is a Boltzmann-type equation, which then models the the, the, the evolution of the of the opinion in, in a human society. Of course, uh, there is many things that have to be taken into account, like we know that uh, opinions are influenced by various uh, external forces like uh, uh, presence of media, media coverage, presence of strong leaders, and so on. So I mean, but all these can sort of be built into the model, and uh, what comes out is, I think, pretty reasonable model for opinion formation in, in society.
0: So it's been tested?
1: It's been tested, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And do um, mathematicians work with um, psychologists in that context, or is it something that is quite mm-hmm, separate? Yeah.
1: Well, psychologists, uh, I cannot really give a very clear statement on that, but I know that mathematicians are working, for example, with sociologists. And uh, very interestingly, I've been to UCLA recently, uh, and there was a working group of mathematicians jointly with uh, sociologists. I think they even had those. Uh, they also had one psychologist in the team, and policemen, and they were working on crime modeling in Los Angeles. Like, how do the gangs behave, how do they diffuse? Uh, how, how, how does crime spread out, and so on. So, I, I mean, all this means that uh, in the last uh, maybe 10 years, mathematics uh, has also hit the sociological sciences.
0: These are just some of the applications of partial differential equations we touched upon in our interview. If you'd like to find out more, including how to use mathematics to restore medieval erotic frescoes, visit the PLUS website at plus.maths.org and look for the article Universal Pictures. Markovitch himself has recently won an $8 million grant from the King Abdallah University of Science and Technology in Saudi Arabia to exploit the power of partial differential equations even further. But unfortunately, this is all we have time for today. Thanks for listening and bye-bye.